0: my name is Pete McCall and thank you for tuning in to the All About Fitness podcast. Before I get into the podcast, I want to say a big thank you. I did something a few episodes ago. I'm not going to say which episode. I did something a few episodes ago. where at the very end of the episode. I told those of you still listening to contact me to send me an email and I'll send you a copy of one of my ebooks. I've written three different ebooks, one's on core, one's on diet functional training. One's on Dynamic Anatomy. The other one is, is on Training for Older Adults. Now, I used to sell them through the podcast. I have them up on Amazon. I sell them electronically on Amazon, just whatever. Very, very small revenue stream. But I still like to use them. And every now and then, I'm going to put a little message in, in the podcast, maybe in the middle, maybe towards the end, probably more towards the end, because I want you to keep listening. Hopefully, hopefully you're listening because it's good content. That's why I did it. I want to see how many people were still listening at the end. And I've actually been very surprised. I would read out the names, but it's been a pretty good uh, number of names. And that would probably take a full episode in and of itself. So I was a little busier than I thought, but I want to say thank you for those of you that did and just pay attention to every now and then later in the podcast, I may put in there a little freebie like that just because I want to see who else is listening and paying attention. Just a little something. I want to do that to say thank you for those of you listening. Because I do, look, I appreciate, I do appreciate you're giving me your time. And before I get into this episode, continuing on with this, I want you to know something. That this is an attitude that I developed many, many years ago. Whether you're a client, whether you're coming to a workout class when I used to teach group fitness classes, whether you're coming to a lecture that I'm giving, if you're coming to see me, and you're giving me your time, I want to make sure I make your time valuable. I I respect your time. I do. I respect your time, and I cherish the time you give me. So whether it's in person as for a workout, or now while you're listening to this while driving or working out yourself, I want you to know that that I appreciate you, and I respect you, and I respect your time. So I always want to make it valuable. So once in a while, I am going to put a little hidden nugget in there, where if you're listening later in the podcast to say thank you for your time, I'll give you one of my eBooks for free, no big deal. So let's get into it. I'm still reading Smarter Workouts. Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple was written to help you understand how to develop your own workouts. For this chapter, we're starting chapter three, mobility training. It's kind of hard to demonstrate the exercises in a podcast format, and I don't have the bandwidth right now, to get them up on on YouTube, I will at some point. I want to do it right, and there, that's uh, going to be about a six to ten thousand dollar project to do it right. Um, I could probably do a little bit. I could do it for less, but you know what? I want to make sure I, I, if I'm gonna put the time into doing videos, I want I want them to be good, so I got to put a little investment in them. Anyway, th- th- that aside, I'm gonna go into the science mobility training, and I know it's a big trend on social media now. But you know what? For those of us coaches and trainers, have been doing this for a while. We always, we know the critical role of mobility training. So let's get into it. Chapter three, mobility training. Vern Gambetta, an authority on performance training. <laughs> sidebar, Gambetta was actually one of the first professional strength coaches back in the 80s. Gambetta worked, I think, with the Chicago White Sox. And Vern Gambetta is one of the, that early generation of strength coaches who really changed how we train. And now that I'm saying it, I'm going to reach out to him for an interview. Okay, Vern Gambetta, an authority on performance training defines athleticism as, quote, the ability to execute a series of movements at optimum speed with precision, style, and grace, end quote. Mobility, along with the skills of dynamic balance and coordination, is derived from the coordinated integration of the different physiological systems described in Chapter 1, but with an emphasis on the central nervous system and muscular system. Proper mobility training can improve the communication between the CNS and muscular system to enhance the ability to move with, quote, precision, style, and grace, while simultaneously improving extensibility and joint range of motion. The end result is that you'll move better as well as feeling better, a definite win-win. Sidebar. Folks, I don't know about you, but now at 50 years old, my mobility workouts are some of my favorite workouts. I mean, I'm a meathead. I, I joke that I'm a recovery meathead. I went from you know 300-something-pound bench press, 500-pound squat, whatever, years and years ago. Now, my favorite workouts are a long hike and a mobility workout where I'm working on hip and thoracic spine mobility. Why? Because it feels good. And at 50 years old, I have the state of mind now. I'm not fixated on appearance. I'm fixated on performance and how my body feels. And mobility is critical for feeling well. So, ba 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 uh, okay, take a, sec, take a second look at the, that description. It identifies movement skill and coordination as prerequisites for being an athlete, not participating in a competition or earning a spot on a team. So I'm going to read that definition again. Quote, Athleticism is the ability to execute a series of movements at optimum speed with precision, style, and grace. Think again about how you use your body during your normal activities of daily living favorite recreational pastimes, or exercise program. If Gambetta's definition of athleticism can accurately describe how you move, performing performing multi-directional exercises at a variety of different speeds can help improve mobility and enhance your ability to move with, quote, precision, style, and grace. In other words, you'll be improving your athleticism for the game of life. It is possible to organize exercise into five foundational patterns of movement any exercise is either the application of one of these movement patterns or is a specific component of that movement pattern. First pattern is a hip hinge or bend and lift pattern. Any hip dominant movement on both legs, including but not limited to deadlifts, Romanian deadlifts, squats, or kettlebell swings. So hip hinge, bend and lift, squat, all those movements are the same. Both feet are planted on the ground and you're moving your hips and you're moving your knees at the same time. Well, you're moving your hips dominantly. In a hinge, you, you're primarily moving the hips. The knees might move a little bit, but the movement emanates from the hips. And that's the thing, when you squat, the first movement when you squat should be your bottom going backwards. If your knees are going forward when you first start squatting, hire a personal trainer. Well, Hire a good personal trainer. The first movement in a squat or a hinge is your butt going back, uh, boom. All right, so the hip hinge. Now the next pattern is the lunge or single leg pattern. Any movement on a single leg or alternating one at a time between both legs, including but not limited to step-ups, lunges, split-leg squats, or single-leg squats. The next move is the push. Any movement away from the body to the front of the body, either in a forward or overhead direction, including but not limited to push-ups, shoulder presses, chest presses, or tricep push-downs. The pull. Any movement toward the body, from a position located either overhead or in front of the body including but not limited to bent over rows, biceps curls, or uppercuts. Finally, rotation. Rotation occurs when the thoracic spine or pelvis are moving in a rotational direction either one at a time moving in the same direction or moving in opposite directions of one another including but not limited to the way the shoulders and pelvis counter rotate when walking or running. Rotational chopping patterns or rotational lifting patterns. So those are the five patterns. You got hinge slash squat, lunge slash single leg, push both forward and overhead, pull from the front and from overhead, and rotation. Now I've been adding in another one, which is the carry. Carry is exactly what it sounds like, carrying stuff. That's gonna be in the next edition of the book. Uh, Didn't make it in this one. So the human body is designed to move and the movements listed occur in almost everything we do, whether playing a sport, Doing a chore, or simply taking a walk. Basing an exercise program on these movement patterns means that you will be training like an athlete even though you may never step on a field or court to compete. Traditional gym exercises that focus on a single muscle group or body part can help change your appearance, but can they improve your athleticism as defined above? This question is especially relevant when you think about the fact that many traditional gym exercises require you to lift a weight up and down in a linear motion or simply push or pull a lever on a machine. Consider many chores and tasks that you perform throughout the course of your normal daily life. Consider many of the chores and tasks that you perform throughout the course of your normal daily life. Don't you often use the entire body to carry or move a mass from one place to another through gravity, not simply against it? Doesn't, quote, precision, style, and grace, end quote, apply to any movement you might perform on a daily basis? When you do this, it's a network of muscle, fascia, and elastic connective tissue that generates the tension required to control mass as you move through gravity. Consider these daily activities, chores, or tasks that you may perform on a regular basis. Now, these are what we call activities of daily living, or ADLs. Now, and you may not be an athlete. You may have never played a sport in your life going, Pete, what are you talking about? Why do you keep talking about athletes? I'm not an athlete. Let's go back to that definition. We want to move with precision, style, and grace. So each of these movement patterns I'm about to to, to discuss or about to talk about, think about them as a form of athletic movement because you need to execute them with precision, style, and grace. You're not swinging a bat trying to hit a 96-mile-an-hour fastball. You're not trying uh, trying to complete a pass to receiver running 35 yards on a crossing pattern. Those are very athletic movements. But each of these movements I'm about to talk about also require you to move with coordination, precision, style, and grace. Carrying a gym bag, work-related bag, large purse or baggy bag, baby bag, computer bag or suitcase when traveling. These are all activities or, or these are all ADLs and chores that you do on a regular basis. So carrying a bag, carrying laundry, walking a dog and bending over to pick up any waste products. Thinking about that, if you have any back issues, how bad does your back hurt to pick up after your dog? Well, if your back hurts, that means you're probably not using your hips right. So you should learn how to hip hinge better. And hip hinging will allow you to bend over and pick up anything you need to pick up off the ground from your dog or otherwise. Moving groceries from the store to the car and into the home. Again, think about the gym. Most of the time in the gym, we're lifting weight up and down against gravity. But when we Do stuff, when we do our activities in daily living, we're carrying things through gravity. Those are different forces on the body. Carrying your young children around the house or picking them up to care for them. That's one of the most athletic movements many of us are going to do for a period of time. I mean, geez, when my kids were young, but up until the ages of five, you know, four or five years old, you're picking them up, you're doing everything with them. And that's so athletic, getting a baby off the ground or getting a toddler off the ground. Think about that. Everything you do with a young baby or young kid, you're pushing, you're pulling, you're carrying, you're rotating, you're hinging. Ugh, you know, so think of if you're a parent with young kids or if you have kids with young kids or family members with young kids, they should be training like athletes. Placing, this goes with that, placing young children in car seats, cribs, high chairs, or strollers. And I'm just thinking about this because yeah, trying to get kids in car seats, especially a two-year-old that doesn't want to go in a car seat. How athletic is that, right? Now you're never going to be a most of you probably are not going to wrestle, but if you are a parent or you're going to be a parent, you have young kids, eh, prepare to do some wrestling. You try to. There's a phase where my older daughter didn't want to wear jeans, no jeans, no jeans, when she was maybe two and a half, three years old. We did some wrestling to get her dressed a couple times. All right, digging in a garden to install new plants or remove old ones. That's going to be some of you. That might be your most athletic movement. I want to give you the ability to work in the garden without any back pain. Pushing, pulling, rotating with a rake or other piece of lawn care equipment. Navigating a busy urban sidewalk while carrying a bag, holding a cup of coffee, and typing out a text message. (laughs) Think about that. As you're walking down the street carrying coffee or looking at your phone, you have to be athletic because you have to dodge other people on the street. I've worked in D.C., Boston. I, I never lived in New York, but I've been in downtown New York quite a bit. San Francisco, you move around these cities, you got to be agile. You got to have speed, coordination, grace cuz you have to get out of people's ways. Finally hustling with carry-on luggage as you hurry from one airport terminal to another to make a connecting flight. Now, I've been a 1K, I've been a multiple 1K traveler on United, and I know what it's like to get from Terminal B to Terminal C in Chicago. I've had to I've had to, I've probably run 800 meters to get from my flight from San Diego to a flight to Asia before in SFO. You guys know what this is like. If you're a road warrior, that being a road warrior is being an athlete. If you if you do it the right way, and I'm one of those fools. If you're ever in the United Terminal going between B or C, I'm one of those fools walking up the walking up the stairs instead of taking the escalator. I got my roll on on my shoulder and I got my backpack, and I'm getting my workout in going up the stairs. I do the same thing in SFO when I go up to the um, international on um, the international terminal. Point is. Think of the activities, think of the regular movements you do on a daily basis as athletic movements. You move throughout your life. You should be training like an athlete because athletes don't train to make their bodies look good. I hate to tell you that. Athletes train to move and play their sports better. That's what we're getting into here. Once you learn how to perform the foundational patterns of movement, it becomes necessary to learn how to generate and control the muscle forces required to move mass through gravity instead of directly against it. The goal is to perform the foundational patterns often enough so they become reflexive, meaning that you can execute them flawlessly without conscious thought. I'm going to say that again. This is critical. This is probably one of the most important lines in the book. The goal is to perform the foundational patterns often enough so they become reflexive, meaning that you can do that you can execute them flawlessly without any conscious thought. Performing multi-directional movements while carrying loads like groceries, laundry, or even young children are the types of tasks you frequently perform in your daily life but are often omitted from traditional exercise programs. Having the proper joint mobility as well as the ability to move through a range of motion without having to think about the movement you are performing makes accomplishing any or all of these tasks listed above easier to handle. In this section, it's called the role of mobility in exercise. The modern fitness era began in the 1970s, with the trends of jogging and dance aerobics group fitness classes that has now evolved to the point where health clubs, fitness studios, personal trainers, and group fitness instructors all play integral roles in our culture. It wasn't until the 1970s that the modern version of the membership-based health club became a viable business model. In the 1980s, the health club industry received a significant boost in membership numbers thanks to numerous action movies, featuring muscle-bound actors like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone vanquishing foes and getting the girl, creating the perception that buff muscular physiques make life better. To mimic the appearance of the big screen stars, many fitness consumers focused on isolation exercises to maximize the growth and definition of muscles. The exercise equipment sold to gyms was designed to meet the needs of bodybuilders and their desire to focus on only one body part at a time leading to a variety of machines designed to strengthen individual muscles that you probably didn't even know you had. In addition to the growth of the health club industry, the 80s also saw the introduction of the field of personal training. Specialists can now be hired by those interested in achieving a specific fitness goal. Fittingly, parentheses, uh, pun intended, close parentheses, the first personal trainers were bodybuilders, hired to help clients achieve a more muscular appearance in addition as fitness became more popular many books and magazine articles about exercise were written or heavily influenced by bodybuilders exercise for the sake of exercise became a popular pastime and workouts using only one or two body parts at a time became the established norm it's funny as i read these two chapters I'm thinking about my undergraduate degree. My undergraduate degree was history and economics and government. And I, I was actually doing international relations, but stopped the language requirement. So I ended up with a degree in economics and government. But from my history, what, what's really cool is contextualizing history. And I love the history of the fitness industry. So in my books, when in my writing, what I always try to do is, is, is place where we are now with fitness in context of where we evolved from. So think about how we started in the 70s was all just bodybuilding. And then it became, and that was a very, that's why fitness is still to this day, 50 years later, is still relegated as kind of a pastime or a hobby or what just overly muscled people do on their own. So how we exercise, uh, sorry, the 1990s saw the field of personal training evolve from bodybuilders helping movie stars add muscles for blockbuster movies to a mainstream service offered by many health clubs. At the same time, the introduction of the personal training studio created a business dedicated solely to helping clients in a private, more exclusive environment. What had initially been an ancillary service offered to health club members became, in the late 1990s, a lucrative source of revenue for health clubs and studios and created job opportunities for those who wanted to earn a living by helping others learn how to exercise. And that is entirely true. Personal training was not a thing until the mid to late night. I mean it was, but it wasn't a thing in commercial health clubs. For years, I mean the commercial health club model was based on on membership revenue. You get X amount of members per you know, X amount of members paying y amount of dollars and there's your budget. But think about it this way. say you have a club with 5,000 members. If you can get 10% of those members, so say 500 members doing personal training, where you're making a margin of maybe $12 to $15 an hour between what the client pays and what you pay your trainer, that margin's a, the, the margins on personal training in the industry are somewhere between about 15 and 22%. So whatever you're paying your personal trainer in a gym, the gym is taking about 15 to 22%, give or take, in, in pure profit. The rest goes to the trainer, goes to pay the expenses, but the gym is making somewhere around 15%, give or take, on, um, on our personal training. So as personal training became more popular, gyms realized they can add to their revenue, add to their bottom line by making an emphasis on personal training. So if you're getting, if you have 5,000 members paying, let's just make it simple, paying $20 a month each, 5,000 times 20, that's $100,000 a month, right? 5,000 times 20, $100,000 a month. Yeah, I'm doing my math right. So you're getting $100,000 a month. Now, if you get 500 members, and they're doing a certain amount of personal training. You're probably making another. I'm going to just rough ballpark thirty to forty thousand dollars a month in pure profit off of that. So that's where personal training now became a viable revenue stream in health club companies. And they, that, that's when I started. I started personal training in 1998. So I was right there. I'm. I am in that first generation of of individuals who made personal training a career. That that focused. I mean that's. Been my career since 19, I was 26 years old in 1998, and that's been the focus of my career. And so I'm in that first generation of personal trainers, and we're now a little bit older. <laughs> and I, my goal is to help you. Anyway, let's get back to it. So, um, how we exercise has changed more since the turn of the century than it did between the early 1970s and the year 2000. Ooh, and I wrote this before 2020. So how has that changed? First, fitness has been in, become an established career field, no longer dominated by bodybuilders. Numerous professional trainers and instructors, like myself, have degrees in exercise science or kinesiology, while many others have earned professional certifications in a variety of exercise modalities. Second, popular group workout programs like CrossFit, SoulCycle, Numerous Theory Fitness, and Core and Power Yoga provide a wide variety of options for group workouts, helping to make exercise an important component of one's social life. Finally, the explosive popularity of social media platforms allows both educated fitness professionals and enthusiastic amateurs alike to easily produce quality exercise videos using only a phone. This has helped promote the benefits of exercise to a wide audience. Each of these factors have helped to propel the fitness industry lifestyle from a niche hobby to a popular subculture. And think about that for a second. I've interviewed, you may remember Buns of Steel. That was Tammy Lee Webb. When I interviewed Tammy, we talked about back in the 80s when she shot a Buns of Steel video that was a 30 to $50,000 shoot. They're doing a two to three camera shoot. They had sound stages, they had models, lights. You're talking a three, two to three day shoot, 30 to 50 grand to get a series of workout videos. Now, colleagues of mine, one of uh, an upcoming guest, Lauren George, does amazing, amazing workout videos using an iPhone 13. That means we've made fitness so much more accessible. Now, that doesn't mean it's all good fitness, but we've made it more accessible. As the fitness industry has grown, so has our knowledge about the impact that exercise has on the various systems in the body. Gone are the days of going to the gym to pump up or exercising to the point of pain in the misbegotten hopes that it can bring a desired gain. Yes, numerous people still exercise for the sole purpose of changing their appearance. However, the way they exercise has changed significantly. Exercise programs have progressed from those that focus only on muscle isolation, workouts based on how we move, often with a specific emphasis on improving the quality of movement as opposed to going for the burn. We now have a much better understanding of how exercise can be used to help you move better and, most importantly, the types of exercises that can help you enjoy pain-free movement. Educated fitness professionals now understand that there are two separate, distinct components of muscle tissue. The contractile element responsible for generating force, and the elastic component of fascia and connective tissue that helps distribute forces throughout the body. The muscle isolation workout programs of the past focused almost exclusively on the contractile element of muscle to improve size and definition. However, educated fitness professionals know that if one set of muscles becomes stronger or more developed than others, it could cause an imbalance around a joint and change how that joint functions. As a result, Many exercise programs now feature multi-directional movement patterns that involve more of the fascia and elastic connective tissue to to enhance mobility and coordination. And that's where we're going to leave it for this episode. So when we come back, we're going to pick up with mobility. And I'm going to go into a little bit more about fascia, connective tissue, and the different types of muscle tissue. If you've been listening to All About Fitness, you've heard me talk about fascia a number of times. I've had some of the leading experts on fascia and fitness on the podcast, like Thomas Myers, Sue Hipsman, and, and Gray Cook, who I recently ran that interview is another one, Gary Gray. That's the reason, if, if you've been listening, the reason why I ran those interviews, Gray Cook, Gary Gray, and John Krakauer, Dr. Krakauer, was because I wanted to contextualize movement and neurophysiology in with the the reason why I wrote Smarter Workouts. That's just, you know, that's, that's how I operate. I don't just put an interview up. I put these in, I, I don't schedule interviews. I try to contextualize and have a, a sequence of interviews that has some sort of sense in my brain. That's just the way my brain works. But that's, that's the start of mobility. The main thing is mobility can help you move better. Mobility is all about moving better. And just doing those movement patterns, if you focus on movement pattern training, if you only do – if you switch, if you've been doing all machines and isolation exercises for years, for years, that's what you've been doing. And then you start doing – if you do – say you do the body, weight, the body weight mobility workout in Smarter Workouts. If you don't do any other exercise but you do the body weight mobility workout two or three times a week for a month – I'm not going to guarantee, I never guarantee anything in fitness, but if you do the body weight mobility workout and smarter workouts two or three times a week for a month, you, your flexibility will improve, your movement will improve, You your any little nagging injuries, back, knees, I'm not going to say it's going to get better, but will, you'll feel, I'm not going to, it's not going to mean I'm not going to cure it, but you will certainly feel better and move better and move with less discomfort. That I'm very confident in. Again, I'm not guaranteeing it, but if you if you pick up a copy of Smarter Workouts and you do the mobility exercises, the body weight mobility exercises three times a week for a month, I'm pretty confident, I'm very confident, that you'll feel and move better as a result. And that right there can start you on a different training program. So that now you start exercising for movement and feeling better, as opposed to having muscles like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And one thing about that. In Ageless, Intensity, in Ageless Intensity, what I do in, in that book is I use different movie examples. I use Terminator. I use Rocky IV because I referenced Stallone and, and Schwarzenegger. But I use different movie examples to do physiology lessons. And, and that's why there's It was a lot of fun. And I've done that for years as a lecturer. I talk about different movies and, and how that relates to the human body. You've probably heard that in some of the podcasts. But anyway, I'm going off tangent. That was the first part of Chapter 3, Mobility and Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made it Simple. The next time, next episode, we'll pick up with Chapter 3, Part 2. Thanks for stopping by. And as always, I look forward to having you join me for future episodes of the All About Fitness Podcast.